You're listening to True Heart. Amy and Scott Mallon dive deep with celebrities, mavericks, visionaries, and real-life heroes to find out what sets their souls on fire. Here's Amy and Scott. Hey, everybody. We're Amy and Scott Mallon, and you are watching or listening to True Heart. So don't forget to go wherever podcasts are found and subscribe. And if you want the full experience, head on over to YouTube and subscribe there. You can leave us a great review and a five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. It helps us grow our community. And uh, just to kind of segue into our guest today, uh, Adam Hunter is uh, a world-famous comedian. He's been doing it for a long time. He's absolutely hilarious. Uh, And he spent, you know, almost uh, an hour with us talking about things you don't see on stage. And uh, to me, is absolutely mind-blowing. My respect for comedians, like just to the struggle that they have to go through just to make their way up and get their name out there. Yeah. The things they go through, the sacrifices they make, both like personal and just financial and professional, like it is it is a roller coaster ride to say the least. And just, I've never heard all the, he's just so raw and authentic and genuine. And so I guarantee you, he's talking about things you've never heard any comedian kind of talk about in terms of what they go through a little bit on the stage, but a lot off the stage. So, and today's episode is called the observer because as a comedian, Adam is observing what's going on in everyday life and putting those experiences um, into his comedy routine to make people laugh. So he's the ultimate observer and we can't wait for you to check out this conversation. Today's episode is the observer and our guest is comedian, Adam Hunter. He headlines all over the world, putting his heart and soul into every performance with an act that is hilarious. Adam currently has a comedy special called Throwing Punches that was the first comedy special ever produced by the UFC, which is currently airing on UFC Fight Pass. He also has a comedy special, Adam Hunter Still Broke, on Amazon Prime. Adam was a finalist on Last Comic Standing, has twice appeared on Jay Leno's Tonight Show, Chelsea Lately, Showtime, The Late Late Show, ESPN Sports Nation, MTV, VH1, True TV, CBS, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, The Real Husbands of Hollywood, and he's performed at arenas, colleges, and clubs all over the world. Adam Hunter prides himself as telling more jokes per minute than you've ever heard in a headlining comedy set. So let's get into it with today's guest, Adam Hunter. All right, so Adam, we met around 20 years ago through some mutual friends in comedy. And um, we boxed together for a few years at the Crunch Fitness on Sunset. And I always appreciated that, like me, you were from the East Coast and you came to Hollywood with big dreams and through hard work, hustle and lots of talent, you created this amazing career for yourself and you've always remained just a humble, good guy. And Scott and I have been to many of your shows over the years and you are so funny. You always make us laugh, which I appreciate because I love laughing more than anything. And so it's awesome to virtually and see since you I can't and make her laugh, here. we're completely dependent I love on it. Well, thank you. external I think, sources. Hey, Amy, I, 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 right back at you. You've always been a... I've always like been a hustler. I never knew exactly what you did, but I knew. That, but I knew. That I still don't know what she does. Uh, I, I feel like you're like a producer, but then you'll have like a show for 
kids and then I would be at a club and you'd have all these great gift bags and and you were like a PR person and just you're just a person that I knew was like just nice to be around you know you get people that are like you get people that have like clouds over their heads like most comedians and then you have other people that just like uh even though like all this nonsense is going on and LA can make you so jaded you're like you're not so that's like uh, I don't know if they it's your, if you're on the, the whatever dosage of pills you're on is, is working <laughs> or, or, or what, but it's nice to be around positive people. Thank you. Um, you moved to LA from the East Coast to pursue a career in Hollywood. Um, you've been here for a minute. So what are some of your observations about living in LA? Um, living in LA, it's just like. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, you know, I, I like being in, out of New York. I, I love New York, but I started doing comedy in New York and it was just, you know, when you start somewhere, it's like, you're terrible at first, no matter what you do, like you're pretty much, and then people would see you gradually get better. But it was hard for sometimes people to see how, how much better I got because of how bad I was to begin. I mean, I've had club owners tell me that, literally tell me like, it's hard to not, I was putting like beers on my head and dumping it on my head to start with and just, just not, <laughs> not telling out of shirts at Ice Ice Baby. It was like, I was like 19, <laughs> things that make my friends laugh. Um, and then I like won a couple contests in New York. I eventually got good, but I was still like giving out flyers every day in the streets to like get people into a club in Times Square, at, like Hamburger Harry's restaurant or, became that became Joe Franklin's. I opened it up with a guy named Dave Rubin. And we, we, um, it was just, it was brutal. I mean, literally people would like spit on you and people just would oh not want to, like you're in Times Square. Hey, you got a comedy show tonight, comics from MTV and Comedy Central and Showtime. And they would get there and it would be you, you know, they'd be like, wait a minute, that's the guy that gave me the flyer, you know, so you're essentially lying to people. And then it was <laughs> freezing cold. I dropped out of college and I saw people that I would like, girls I went on dates with, that, like, going to Broadway shows on a date. And like, hey, Adam, how's it going? I'm like, great, I'm at Hamburger Harry's tonight. So that was like, <laughs> was like but I mean, people that were there were like, Melissa Roush was, was like my Barker. She's like on Big wow. Bang Theory. Like, yeah. You know, people that like, you know, Dave Rubin is a big guy he tours with like uh, Ben Shapiro now. I mean, people that like, anyways, Rip Michaels, who's a big guy on Wild Out. Like, like people have done well since then. And then, I won a contest where they flew me out to LA to like perform at the improv. And this guy, uh, Anthony Clark, who was on Yes Dear, saw me and was like, Hey man, you're really funny. I'm going to meet my manager, this and that. And then, and then I auditioned when I, I got to LA, I was like, you know what? I'm going to move to LA. Fuck it. Let's just, let's see how we do out here. And, um, I couldn't get up anywhere. Like I was doing laundromats and, and supermarkets in New York. And then I went back to like doing laundromats out here. I'm like, this is fucking terrible after 10 years of doing comedy. So I opened up my own room, at the Westwood Brewing Company, and I went around UCLA and pretended to like that there was an actual club. I'm like, hey, we got Chris Rock there. And I lied to all these kids to get in there, and then I went to like sorority houses. Every, everyone can make a can make a announcement on Mondays. It was like Manners Monday, and girls got all kind of like dressed up, and then you didn't have to go to the school to make an announcement. I figured, I realized that, which I'm sure wasn't safe. <laughs> so then I was like, hey, we got a comedy show at Bruco, and then as long I knew as long as I had, I got a couple sorority girls to come, we'd get good comics. Well, that club ended up having like Chelsea Handler would come every week and, uh, you know, Dane Cook and the Wayans Brothers because there were all these like – and Jeff Ross and Greg Fitzsimmons and Theo Vaughn because they were he came with me to promote, Theo did, to the sorority houses because there were all these like hot sorority girls there. So I got all the comics. And then that led to like I got a spot on the Craig Kilborn show. And then I was like – went through like – I started doing the road and you know sleeping out of my car basically to like drive to – 
Albuquerque for the night or this or that and doing a lot of military tours. We ended up going to Korea and Japan and Djibouti, Africa twice and performing for the military. And then I got on Last Comic Standing, but then that was like, I auditioned for them. And the first year they're like, I made it to LA, the finals, and then they kicked me out. And then I auditioned again. They're like, hey, you're going to Hollywood, you're going to Vegas. And they gave me a card saying like, you passed. And the judges were like, you're the fucking amazing. And they called me up a week later and like, you're off the show. I'm like, but you guys watch me cry and, and and call my parents and my dad. And they're like, well, we only, we pick 50 people, but we keep 30. So then that was like, and then that, and then I, and then I pitched a show where I went around called Kamikaze Comedy, where I went around like just doing comedy anywhere and everywhere, because that's what I was doing basically. And those were some of the funniest shows were like at a, you know, women's meeting or at a biker rally or places that they didn't want to see comedy. And then I pitched it to NBC and then they're like, Hey, well, why don't you audition for last comic standing? And I'm like, because you could kick me off it. And they're like, well, go fucking go to Arizona and audition. So I did that and I got through and then the same thing happened. They're like, you're off the show. I was like, but you just fucking put me through. So then I, at that point I was like done with showbiz. I'm like, I'm fucking done. I called up the guy in charge, Barry Katz and like told him off. I'm like, your show's fucking fixed. Blah, blah, blah. My, my cousin like knew Peter Engel and he kind of went over people's heads and talked to Peter and like maybe get him back. Anyway, so then they like called me up and they said, hey, uh, you're back on the show in Vegas tomorrow. So I'm like, but like in the final round. So then I'm like, you know what? I'll be the bad guy in the show because they're not picking me as a good guy. So I, I fucking went through, killed it. Judges were like, you're going through. In my interview, I'm like, I'm the best comic of all time. And like, blah, blah. So then I made it to the house. But then I'm like, fuck, now everyone's going to hate me because I told everyone I was the greatest ever and just did that. So they put me on the show. So then every time they interviewed me, I tell them like, yeah, I work with kids who had cancer in, LA, in New York, which I really did at the Ronald McDonald house. But I steered every interview to me working with kids who had cancer. So then they got pissed and stopped interviewing me um, and like getting me food. But either way, I got on last time <laughs> and I got to like, then that made me like a headliner. And then I, and then I headlined, I did about 50 colleges and headlined all over. And then I got on the Tonight Show a couple times, and uh, I started working with the UFC because I was opening for this guy named John Heffron who was hosting the MMA awards, and he got me a gig writing sketches. So I started writing these like sketches for the UFC, and I ran into Dana White at a casino, and I wrote stuff for the MMA awards, and they went viral. And Dana gave me a, a job with the UFC roasting fighters, which then created this whole like niche of like me working for Fox Sports. I'm, and I'm, I'm giving you like the real condensed fucking you know, cliff note version, but uh, lo and behold, cut to like, I was the first comic to ever have a UFC comedy special uh, in November, which was, you know, it was hard because it was during COVID and everyone's wearing masks and it was a capacity of like 35 people, but I still like ripped it and that was awesome. I'm doing another one in September this year. And uh, so that's been great. And then in the meantime, like just touring and trying to get better and got married and have a, have a little three-year-old and uh, doing the best I can. It's an amazing wow. journey um, that you've been on, Adam, and from, you know, the laundromats and the supermarkets and the biker rallies to the big stages and to NBC's last comic standing multiple times. Um, I think the, the theme is, though, that you never gave up and you just kept hustling and I don't think a lot of people appreciate because when you're on stage, you make it look so easy. The comedy is effortless and we all get to sit there and enjoy it in the audience and laugh. But 
no one really understands and appreciates what it took for you to get to that stage and oh, how much no, rejection and knows that you've heard and kept pounding those doors in until you got those yeses to to keep doing what you love. No, it gets it gets worse. I mean, there was a I had a manager at the time who like when I was doing Bruco, he's like, I invited the the like Gersh loves you. They all want to see you. The whole the whole that everybody in Gersh wants to see you. And I was like, uh, okay. Uh, and then um, <laughs> it's a, it was the night of the Friends finale, and this is before DVR and TiVo. I'm like, yeah. there's no there's no one gonna be there tonight. Like, I'm like, switch it. Too bad they want to see you tonight. So I went around UCLA for like six hours. Not one person wanted to come to the show. Right. So like three people came to the show that like had already seen me a hundred times. A bunch of comics that fucking didn't like me. And then nine, 12 agents in suits, like pissed off they were missing the Friends finale, which to this day is like the most watched show of all time. And then they're like, <laughs> and then they're, and they're sitting in like the back against the wall. So I couldn't even like address them. That went fucking horrible. Uh, and then two hours later, there was a next show in that room that I did that was packed with kids, like the 10 o'clock show. And then that, that to like, I had like, a, I had Montreal at the time was like the big comedy festival, like the yeah. big comedy festival. And um, I had like, I had three callbacks and then I, I killed it. And then they were like, they want to see you again tomorrow. I'm like, they saw me today. They want to see you again tomorrow. I'm like, where? At the improv. So show up at the improv. They want to see you. You're on second. The first comic doesn't show up. The host bombs. It's like 30 people, old ladies that are on like a bingo trip in the audience. And then I get up there and I'm like, oh, I like older women. I'm like, because then during sex, I could be like, who's your grandson? I'm like, don't even say that joke. But I'm like, fuck it, try it. A lady takes a menu and hurls it at my head and it fucking hits me like dead center, like a hard ass menu, not like a little paper, like a fucking like thick. And then my, my whole face like swells up. Oh my God. And, uh, and then that was like my time. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like that, that was, that was it. Like, <laughs> so like, so like, I mean, having your manager try to convince that Montreal, it was a, a lady threw a menu at your head. You should still book them. And then when I finally did get Montreal six, <laughs> six years later, like I backdoored it. Like my, my daughter was about to get my, my, my wife's about to give birth. Like, so I had to like my mind, I was there, but like, I knew she was going to be late anyway. Cause her water hadn't broke, but I really couldn't enjoy it. And she's mad. I, I didn't miss my daughter's birth. But like, that was like that. And, and, and then it was like, I mean, it was just so many, like um, so many things of like, like I sold that show kamikaze comedy. I sold it to, uh, to fuel TV and then they shot a pilot. And then right was about to it was about to air like a month later, and the network got bought out by Fox Sports. So the whole network. And then I redid the show. I, I had another show that I sold to Esquire, and then Esquire was going to air, and then Esquire went under. Like after they, after they shot the pilot, not after they bought, after they shot the pilot. So I had two pilots get fucking like the network collapsed. Um, and then there was a night I did in in Hollywood where like Michael Blackson hits me up and he's like, "Yo." some rich people are going to be at a big show tonight. Like, uh, we want to do it. It pays a couple hundred dollars in a backyard. I get there. It's like James Burroughs, the director, all of CAA, like the head of UTA, the head of Netflix, like Molly Sims and her husband, like, like just the fucking like all these Hollywood people, like the guy that started like, uh, the guy that started, uh, like, or Orion pictures. I forgot his name. Like, and I went out there and crushed it. But my manager was like, I'm gonna call my manager. I'm like, hey, you got to get here because, like, <laughs> CAA, UTA, James Burroughs, this guy, that guy, you know, S S Steven Stoper from uh, from the head of Netflix. They're all here, and he was like, 
on edibles or something. He's like, well, just get some business cards. I'm like, just fucking come. He's like, just, just, you'll be, you'll be fine. So I, I killed it and great, but then like nothing ever happened from it, you know, because it was like, it was like right before Christmas and then Christmas happened and yada, yada. I think CAA said they all want to come see you the next day and then they never did. So, I mean, it, it, there's been a lot of that kind of shit. I mean, I remember getting signed by WME and walking into a, a room and they're like, hey, we're really excited to, to sign you. And uh, we love about you is that your comedy's so clean. You just have really clean Christian comedy. I'm like, these people have never seen a fucking minute of what I do. Like, like, like they don't, I'm like, this is not, this is not, I'm like, thank you. I mean, like, yeah, that's, that, that's me. Uh, but what am I going to say? There's been so much that, but at the end of the day, why, why I like comedy is because you control them. You don't control the outcome, but you control the medium. So, you know, I can't control whether people laugh or not. I can control how good I am. And I control what I do. I control the jokes I say, and I could do comedy every night. Whether or not I get like booked on something else, or like, it's just different. There's nobody's opinions. Like the, the opinions of people in the crowd, it's their opinion. Whereas like an audition sometimes is like, you know, you go there and you, you kill it, and then you find out that they gave it to the person's brother or the person's cousin or whatever else it is. But like stand-up comedy, it's like I control the actual medium. So that's, that's great. And then it's like, as much as like, I could say like, oh, well, you know, woe is me. And I haven't had the breaks that I want to have. Like someone said, like, like last week I did a show and some guy's like, when are you going to hit? I'm like, listen, I got a, I got a, a beautiful, amazing, outstanding wife. I, got, I have a great kid, uh, a lovely, amazing kid. We, we have a house. Um, and you know, I, I, I do what I love for a living. Like, I love what I do for a living. Like, like if that's not making it, then what the fuck is making it? You know? Um, so as much as I didn't get mad at the person because I knew what he was trying to say, it's like, what? Well, so, you know, I have 21,000 followers on Instagram. Like, so if I have 200,000, is that making it? Like, like I, I'm still, like, I know people, a lot more followers that are not doing as well, you know, or technically they don't have what they have. Or I know people that are, I've toured people that are super rich and been in thousands of movies, but they got, let's, you know, they're, they have nobody. So you have to look at like, what is making it? You know, when I was on the streets of fucking Times Square, you know, getting spit on, if you were to tell me like, hey, one day you're going to have like your own billboard in Vegas and you're going to do the Leno and, and you're going to be on TV and you're going to have a wife and a kid and you're going to be able to coach wrestling because you love doing it and you're going to be to, you're going to get to go to, Africa and Germany, like, would that be making it to you? I'd be like, fuck yeah. Like right now I'm giving out flyers. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, so it doesn't, some people like they, did, I, and I'm guilty of this too, is like, you think making it is you have to be the number one person in the world and you have to be there forever. And it's not even whether or not you're you're actually number one. It's whether or not other people think you're number one because there's also that it's like, I mean, the Spice Girls sold a lot more records than, uh, I don't know who, who, who's like a really good band. Like, let's say, let's say uh, third eye blind, even though people, maybe not the best example, but third eye blind, but I like third eye blind a lot more than the Spice Girls. So is it really just a matter about other people's opinions, you know, versus like the actual quality of the song quality of the work? It, it you like make a really great point. Adam. A lot of a lot of great points. 
Yeah, and you know, Scott told me uh, something a oh, while back. Oh, you're going to take my line. That that stayed with me, but it's relevant to what you were saying. And so many people are focused on kind of chasing the horizon and always looking for that next big accomplishment. And we often forget to just look back and realize, oh my God, look at all the things I already accomplished and have so much respect and appreciation for how far we've come and the journey we've been on. And all those things that you just rattled off, like if you had just done one of them, the billboard in Vegas, being on Leno, last comic standing, they're all so impressive in their own right. But the fact that you've done so many of these amazing things and check them off your list is just awesome. And we totally agree. You've already arrived. And, you know, the the definition of success is just completely subjective. And it's those things that you mentioned, you know, having a beautiful, healthy, happy life with your amazing wife and daughter, you've succeeded. You already won. Yeah. And then the bonus is getting to be on stage and make people laugh every well, day. And the thing is, is like you could actually make a good corollary in business. Like if you started a business and it's just, you know, you're always there's always going to be more. There's always going to be like, oh, I want to sell a show or I want to, you know, do this or that. It's same in business. Like, you know, oh, we want to get to this level and that level. But it's everyone we've talked to, like um, they've all kind of said the same thing, which is at the end of the day, it's about the journey and like enjoying those moments, like when you're on stage and those moments with your family, like you you do have to like it's it's hard because you're 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 like Amy, like you're not like me, you're like Amy. I, I'm saying that like that's a real compliment. You're not like me, but um, that you are scrappy and you are passionate and you would never there's. There is nothing that anyone could do that would make you quit because it was just in your blood, in your bones, and you had to do it. And, and those are the people, like, it takes time. We all know this. I mean, it takes time in business. It takes time in anything. I was talking to Maxwell today uh, about he wants, now all of a sudden he wants to be a tennis pro. I'm like, um, you're 10. 10. You yeah. just started playing a day ago, and you're already yeah. fantasizing about, like, you know, gallivanting around the world and, you know, playing in Wimbledon. But like, you know, I explained it. I was like, do you realize how much it takes to get from the dream to the reality? And if it's not in your blood, forget it. Because there's just too many other people out there that want it. And you guys, you and Amy are like two people that like just I admire so much because you just you're so scrappy. And I mean that in the best way that you just you claw and it's what you love to do. And there's just so many people out there who like comedy is one of those things that like people are just terrified. I'm going to throw you on stage. And I want you to make a bunch of strangers laugh. I mean, the people who just like, like shit their pants, like that's their worst nightmare to be on stage. I'd rather be naked on stage than have to make someone try and laugh. Yeah. Fortunately for me, that probably do accomplish both things, uh, but yeah. <laughs> like, it's the idea that like, you know, what you do is just amazing. And so anyway, it's my reaction. Cause it's like, You've been through so much, and it's I know it's like a lot of hard knocks, but I think we all get the hard knocks. The only difference is you're getting the hard knocks doing something you love. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And I think that like when I meet people, when I talk to certain people that like have like either been there or, or like know it, like they get it, you know, like they get it. But for some reason, like I have to catch myself like like somebody on Twitter, like you suck, you're the worst comic ever, you know, and yeah, you look at their profile, they have like eight followers and like it's just they're, they're like a fucking cartoon it's a they're, internet they're, trolls they're, they're, like their poll their pictures a cartoon but like if they actually went for it they would never have that opinion 
you know um it's like yeah. you have to people people that actually like you know people that are ahead of you or like on your level or even like trying to get there they understand it you know um it's like i'll never knock it's like even the guy that i'm working with this week in vegas there's a there's a guy that me and him we worked together 15 years ago on a military tour and he's a headliner and uh he's a solid solid comedian like like really good comic and they have him featuring which means he goes on before me and i'm like hey man i don't i'm not trying to put you down but why are you featuring your your fucking headliner you know uh he's like well oh, yeah but they just want me to and i'm like but like I would never diminish him. I, mean, I like like a guy on the internet would be like, "Oh, you're a fucking feature." But I'm just like, I'm like, "Oh, okay." Well, he's like, "Will you talk to?" Him? I'm like, "Yeah, I'll talk to the person, of course," because I'm like, like I know, like I've been where he is. I, you know, like I understand why he's doing it. It's like you you understand shit when you're actually trying to do it. You know how hard it is. You know why people are making certain jokes you know why people are doing certain things you you kind of get it it's sort of like when fighters when i'm watching fighters watch fights they understand why a guy got knocked out like the fucking crowds like oh he just got his ass kicked and the fighters going no i i he, he just he just fainted on the jab and then he understands and then he fucking ducked in he understands why that happened yeah. he understands the thought process of why that happened you know yeah. And he could tell me, and he's not looking at it as like, that guy just got fucked up. He's like, oh, he just got caught, you know, because he's been caught before. And that's sort of like what you go through as a comic, um, which is why like, I don't ever like attack other comedians based on comedy. I, I don't care. Like it doesn't, I got to a point where I, sometimes I'll look at a lineup and go, fuck, I want to be on that lineup. Um, man, like, I, but um, it's not like this person should be off the lineup. It's just like, I want to be on the lineup you know uh and that's just like another it's it's crazy like <laughs> one of the good news of me not being like a fucking multimillionaire or something is like sinbad had a quote of like you're the funniest when you're riding the bus you know um yeah and the, and also there's a reason why like horses when when there's a horse race they 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 blind the horses they don't let they they you can only see in front of you because if a horse looks at another horse It'll fuck up his race. Yeah. So it's kind of like with my career, it's like, you know, everyone has their own mission. I remember Amy, we were friends with Dan Levy, like me and yeah. Dan, me, Dan and Theo were, were touring for a while. And like Theo now is like the biggest comic in the world, you know? And Dan is like a, a writer for the huge show, you know? And, yeah. and I'm still like grinding out as a comic, you know? And part of me wants to be like, fuck, why don't I where Theo is? Or maybe I should be writing fucking, but I'm not. It's like, cause it's, we all have our own journeys and, and I'm doing what I'm doing and they're doing what they're doing, you know? Um, and then you just have to trust that it's good enough and you have to trust that like eventually you'll get to where you're going to be. And a lot of it is also one of the things that I, I look back on and be like things that I could have done differently or wish that I could have done differently or what I'm going to do different in the future is, you know, because I'm from New York and you want to kill every night and then you get to LA and you go, uh, you have to kill. You have to kill at the improv. You have to kill at the left right. You have to kill the If you don't kill, then you're not gonna get booked back. And I think that that was a mistake on my part um, because I always wanted to kill. So sometimes I wouldn't do new newer material or or material that I could have that, that that I could have done differently or I could have I could have done shit that like taken more risks um, and not have to kill or crush. But I always wanted to be like the best, whether it's an ego thing or it's a fear thing or and. There's, I was talking to a comic last night, Nikki, and I'm like, Nikki, you know, uh, a lot of times I would do a gig and I would be so worried that I wouldn't be 
booked back at the gig because it was a good gig that I would not enjoy it or I'd be so worried about like failing that I wouldn't be, you know, sometimes you can worry about not doing something that you don't actually about doing something. Yeah. So it's like, I'm trying not to lose versus trying to win. Um, so those are things that like I've learned in like now being 43 and maybe having a, being in a different place, you know, um, women were always a, a distraction for me. Like, uh, you know, you do the road and like a lot of it was like vices because, you know, you, it, it's, it's hard because you do like some gig in Toledo, Ohio, and you kill, you crush. You're just like, you're the top of the world. You know, you're like, everyone's laughing, people are crying. And, and then you, then you sell at the end, you're selling t-shirts. People are like, oh, you're the funniest person. Where can I follow you? Where can I see you again? This is great. And you get back to your hotel and you're stuck at like some fucking super eight or some motel six. And you put on TV and you see somebody that <laughs> you see the person that you just auditioned against or a comic and they're on the tonight show or they're on this. And then you go on the internet and it's everyone's fucking highlight film of like, like, Hey, just murder this or just booked fucking a movie with Brad Pitt or, Hey, I just, my, 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 my film got accepted. And you're just like, fuck, and you're getting like depressed and you're like looking around and you're in this fucking motel six and you're like, this sucks. Um, so you want to keep the high going. And a lot of times, for some people, it was like, well, I got to smoke some weed or I got to drink or I got to party or I got to do coke. For me, it was like, well, I got to hook up with the girl because that'll, that'll keep the high going, you know? Um, and then that was, that was always a hard time for me. That was always something that I like struggled with, especially during COVID. I mean, not me for COVID because I got a family and kid, but so many comedians, they fell apart during COVID because, you know, doing comedy, like you're risking, you're risking your money. Like you're risky, like everyone else kind of went into something financially stable or a lot of people did. So you're not financially stable. And then you, you don't have a girlfriend or a wife because a lot of times they just can't deal with your comedy career or what you're dealing with. Your work never stops. So you don't have kids and you don't have a wife or family. Maybe you're divorced or it didn't work out. So now you're stuck at home. So now you're stuck at home and you can't do the one thing that, that makes you feel good at night. The one thing that you can do at night that like tells you that you made the right choice in life. Well, that's taken away. So, so many comics were like overdosing or uh, getting on drugs or, you know, just becoming alcoholics. It was like, you just see it one by one or becoming like fucking recluse or quitting or moving back home to Ohio. And, and I, I understood why that was happening. I, I, it didn't happen to me, thank God, because I have a beautiful like support system of my wife and kid. And I was still doing comedy during the, during COVID on zoom, but a lot of people were like, fuck these Zoom shows because I'm not getting the laugh that I'm getting at a, at a club. And they're right. You're not. Um, and then they fell apart. And I think that's where like the mental health comes in of like you had to like uh, be strong mentally. And I think that inherently becoming a comedian is like there's like a certain need, a certain void. It's, that's not a normal job. It's like I'm going to make people laugh usually by telling them the most embarrassing or fucked up things about me, like they're going to laugh and then I'm going to feel good at them laughing at my pain. And inherently there's like a need uh, of like that someone along the line didn't get to you that most comedians did not come from like amazing backgrounds, amazing families. They came from some type of thing where they were missing something and me included. And uh, I could see why COVID was so hard on people. We hope you're enjoying the show, everyone. Don't forget to head on over wherever podcasts are found and subscribe. And if you want the full experience, go subscribe on YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Tushy. 
Are you still wiping your butt with all that toilet paper you hoarded last year? How's that going for you? Let me introduce you to a new way to clean after you handle your business. Meet Hello Tushy. Tushy is the modern bidet that easily clips to any toilet and installs in just 10 minutes. Starting at just $99, Tushy sprays a precise stream of clean water and washes away all of that literal crap that toilet paper leaves behind. Upgrade your bathroom experience by going to hellotushy, T-U-S-H-Y dot com. That's hellotushy.com. Tushy saves the environment and reduces your carbon butt print. Tushy saves you money on toilet paper and Tushy saves your butt. Go to hellotushy, that's T-U-S-H-Y dot com. Stop wiping, start washing with Tushy. True Heart is brought to you by This Saves Lives. This Saves Lives is a ridiculously delicious food brand that gives back. Every single purchase sends life-saving food to a child in need. Co-founders Kristen Bell, Ryan Devlin, Todd Grinnell, and Ravi Patel launched This Saves Lives with a simple motto, buy a bar, feed a child, we eat together. Now with more than just bars, their products contain premium ingredients and are non-GMO, gluten-free, and kosher dairy. Their unique line of kids' products all contain one full serving of fruits and vegetables and are safe for school. To buy their ridiculously delicious snacks, head on over to thissaveslives.com. True Heart is brought to you by Half United. For over a decade, lifestyle brand Half United has been using fashion to feed people all over the world. To break the cycle of generational poverty, the community provides gainful employment to local artisans and vulnerable communities who create their handmade and sustainable products. For every Half United product purchase, seven meals are given to a child in need. Half United has donated over one million meals to date. Shop their beautiful jewelry, tees, handbags, and home accessories at halfunited.com and help fight global hunger. True Heart is brought to you by Brothers Meatballs. Say ciao to tradition and hello to your new favorite plant-based Italian bistro in Los Angeles, Brothers Meatballs. Brothers Meatballs was founded by brothers and food industry veterans Mauro and Sergio Corbia, who hail from the Isle of Sardinia, Italy. When they joined forces with second-generation Italian chef Mark Middleman, their self-proclaimed brother from another mother, the concept for Brothers Meatballs was born. Moro was the founder and creator of Moro's Cafe inside Fred Siegel, a long-standing LA hotspot. Dissatisfied with the amount of plant-based dining options, reminiscent of the home-cooked meals their mother once made, the brothers were determined to create a menu so delicious it would appeal to herbivores and omnivores alike. Inspired by the food mama so lovingly prepared for Sunday suppers, these meatballs are a modern take on a family classic. All menu items are 100% plant-based and made with mama's secret ingredient, love. Angelinos can order lunch and dinner Wednesday through Sunday at brothersmeatballs.com. You know, Rain Wilson, I'm sure you've heard, has talked openly about how his mom left his family when he was just two years old and how he felt isolated as a kid. He said he found comfort in making people laugh. Coming from a similar background was comedy an escape for you? And did the experience of your mom leaving when you were young affect your life and your relationships? Yeah. I mean, literally I just like had a therapy session before this and like, yeah, I mean like the last time I saw my mom was at a, like she, she like my dad had custody of me and my, 
um, and my uh, my sister. And then we had a stepmother that we never got along. I was actually the ring boy at the wedding, and I threw the rings at her because they were like, "You're the new mom. This is your new mom." And that was like, it was crazy. Uh, I was like, what, what do you mean? This is your new mom? Like that? And just not. We weren't introduced right. It wasn't kind of. It was all kind of sudden. There was a lot of drugs involved with, with parents and between my dad and my mom. And then she she had, she had custody of me and my sister. I mean, she had weekends, and then she took us out for like a restaurant. And I was misbehaving. I think I was like four. And I remember her like hitting me or kicking me. And then we got kicked out of the restaurant. And that was the last time I saw her, literally last time I saw her ever. Um, and then uh, I always felt like it was my fault that that happened. And I always took blame in that. And then when she tried to kidnap me and my sister when I was a couple of weeks later, I think we were playing in the front yard and she pulled up in front of the house and just was like, get in the car. And then my dad said, get in the house. And then, and that was that the cops were called. And I think that, uh, yeah, there was a lot of resentment and confusion and uh, isolation as well as seeing my brother and my stepmom, like her real son, like him growing up and having this like too much love and me and my sister not getting any love or you kind of the leftovers. It was, it was, it was a tough, fucked up situation. We got sent to boarding school for troubled kids had, called Hyde, which was the best thing for us at the time. Um, but it was also that school was, I mean, I could, you know, I could go in for hours on that. It was I'm happy I went there, but there was a lot of things that I wished didn't happen there. Um, it, it wasn't so black or white. Let's leave it at that. So for a while, wrestling was my uh, my savior. It was like anything, any type of feelings and resentment and anger. And, and it was like through wrestling, I was able to do that. And then when I stopped wrestling in college, because uh, I just got burnt and I was losing like 20 pounds a week. And I literally wanted to kill somebody because I was so fucking hungry and angry and pissed and i started doing comedy because i had a tv show in college that i got sued for 25 million dollars for for causing a riot on campus at suny binghamton and went to the supreme court of brooklyn and another crazy story for another time but i became, became a comic um yeah that sort of was filled that void and 100 uh you know making someone laugh it, it, it is therapy it's beyond therapy and it's uh there's, there's nothing like it and I'm super happy that I do it. And, and yeah, it was, uh, it, it's definitely like, I, I don't resent any of it. it. It's, it's the greatest thing. It's, it's, it's the greatest job in the world. And, and, and I, I, I love it to death at the same time. It's, it's definitely one of the most difficult jobs. Um, and it's also, uh, it's hard because you, you know, most people, they go to work nine to five and then they just, they're off, they're off work. They can go home, you know, sometimes they have stuff to do at home. Whereas as a comic, like you're in your head 24 seven, you know? Um, and then when you're experiencing something, you're constantly going, well, is that, is that funny? Can I put it on a stage? So it's like, you're having to like watch your life in a third, out from the, from a third person point of view, which is fun at times. And, and at times it's not because you just want to live your fucking life and not have to worry about whether or not this is funny or could this be a bit or could this, that, and the older I get, the less, the less that is, you know, and I just, it's, you have to be disciplined, you know, that's hard. And then when you throw a kid in there and uh, then it's even, you know, especially, you know, COVID was like the best year of my life. Cause I got to be with my kid all day long and there was nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It was just, just two and a half. I went to the park every day. We, we, we music and the zoo and, and we bonded like, like nothing else. But, 
there is like a like fuck there's there's these things of like man am i ever gonna like i'm i'm working for a half hour a day now you know <laughs> like am i gonna be able to have a career working for a half hour a day that's why like right now i'm in reno and i have from today till sunday to just do work so and I'm, i have no car so I'm like, well, I'm going to be able to accomplish a lot of things that I wouldn't be able to accomplish from if I'm, if I'm home uh, with my daughter and wife, which I'm sure well, that, my wife's talking about. But. That totally makes sense. And I'm sorry, Adam, for what you went through growing up with your family. I can empathize from my own childhood challenges and trauma. And I hope that becoming a parent has helped to heal your heart as it has with mine. Um, and helped you feel that love and fill the void, you know, that was there from what you went through as a kid. Obviously, you know, now as an adult and having the wisdom and experience, you didn't deserve the way that you were treated as a kid. No kid does. Um, but you're obviously so strong and resilient and unbreakable. And you turned all that pain into this beautiful way to bring people joy and and make them laugh. And, you know, I think you've proven what we've all always heard, which was that comedy and tragedy are just inextricably linked. And being funny is not the same as being truly happy. We've seen so many of these comedians, you know, privately struggle with mental health issues, like Robin Williams, who was a legend, but who sadly is no longer with us. You know, some comedians have come forward, like Sarah Silverman and Jim Carrey and Wayne Brady and Chris Gethard and many others to say that they've struggled with depression and anxiety or thoughts of suicide. Um, and that for them, sometimes these feelings are just so overwhelming and mental health really is this big epidemic in this country. So do you feel like always being on can be so overwhelming? What's your, what's your take on what comedians face with that battle with mental health? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like, you have to be on because I feel like that's just like annoying. I feel like the best comics are not always on. Um, I think a lot of it is like, I, I just, it's weird. It, it's all, it's, uh, you know, because it's like, it, it's not usually on the stage where you struggle. You know, it's like, it's a lot of times I don't want to get off the stage because I know my life's going to suck when I get off the stage. I got a like, two hour drive home or something. Like I don't want, I literally, I literally don't want to leave the stage because this is like fun and it make people laugh. Um, it's just, I think a lot of it is just, you know, you, um, it's when you compare yourself to others. It's when you um, feel like you're not where you want to be with your career. It's like, it's like gatekeepers that like, get off on not booking you or they have their own fucking thing or it's okay. social media or it's like people that have like been to the top and then they're not there anymore. I think that's like also a big part of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is like being stuck in your own head and, and not like, like I said, I've been in therapy for now, like six months and it's like, I, I resent it, you know, a lot of times like, fuck, I don't know what, what do I have to talk about? Or I, I think, how, what am I going to say this week in therapy? It becomes like an act almost, you know? Um, but I know that like every time I do it, I'm like, this is, this is like the, this is what I need to be doing. And I think a lot of comedians don't want to do it or they think they're not going to be as funny if they don't, if they're medicated and they need to be medicated, you know, or I know when I was on last comic standing, I went off my medication. I'm like, oh, I'll be more interesting off medication, living in a fucking house with 12 comedians. And I was just irritable. 
I was fucking irritable, you know, um, and that, that wasn't good. So I think that, uh, you know, I think it's important to be, to, I think, I, I, I think people, you have to accept the fact that like, you can go talk to someone for an hour and, uh, it's worth, uh, the $50 or hundred dollars you're going to spend that, that week. You know, it's, it's like more important than it would be somewhere. Else. And I think also physically the gym is so fucking important. So um, important. I think like for me, I, I have to box four days a week or five days a week. And that's a huge part of it. I think comedians get into this like road travel, eating shitty, sleeping in and then not working out. And then that it just becomes like this, like, and then not being able to sleep at night, you know? And I think that's a, a really rough way to, to like live. This well, has been such an interesting conversation. Cause I mean, I, we both love comedy uh, so much, but man, I, I just, I think it's so interesting, fascinating, like kind of peering a little bit behind the curtain of the sacrifice it takes. I mean, it's one thing like at the beginning when I said you guys are scrappy, that's one thing. Like I want to work hard, but it's another thing to just channel so many different things that have happened in your life and have to overcome so many obstacles uh, just to do what you love. Uh, it, it's, it's like mind blowing to me really that you've been through so much and it just, it just makes me respect the, field of comedy so much more than I did before. Cause now I realize, you know, comedians, like you just see him on stage and you're like, Oh, and you just, just Oh, it's Kevin Hart or it's Seinfeld. And you're like, Oh, you're like, you know, they're so, so rich and whatever, but you, you don't think about a lot like actors. I think like, you just don't think about the people who have to, who are, who are working their way up and paying their dues and what those dues actually cost. Adam, this was awesome to, see you to have you with us today thank you for sharing your story so that other people who might have some tragedy or trauma in their lives can get the help that they need that's available yeah. to them and for being so courageous to share what you've been through and thank you for the laughs that you're giving people all over the world and for hopping on planes and taking buses and long car rides to just show up on stage and you know give your best and make people feel good because that's what we need right now especially after the shitty year and a half that the world has had yeah. well thank you guys and i'll see you guys soon see you Thanks. soon adam bye Thanks, adam. hey guys if you want to subscribe to the show uh just head on over to wherever podcasts are found uh, you can leave us a five-star review too, which we appreciate. You can also check us out on YouTube and subscribe there. Uh, we'd love to have you checking us out every week. Yes, and a special thank you to today's guest and my longtime friend, Adam Hunter. Thank you for being with us. Um, it's been amazing watching your journey over the last 20 years. I was at some of those shows at the Westwood Brew Co. back in the day cheering you on. And I'm so proud of all of your amazing accomplishments and most especially um, of the fact that you have this incredible, beautiful family who loves you so much and are your number one fans. So make sure to check out Adam's comedy special, Still Broke. It's on Amazon Prime. Scott and I loved it. Lots of laughs. You'll dig it too. And don't forget to keep it locked here every single week. We have an incredible season with amazing guests, celebrities, visionaries, mavericks, philanthropists, activists, 
who are sharing with us what sets their souls on fires and the incredible impact that they're making in the world. So you don't want to miss it. Um, we're just so grateful for all of the people that we're having these inspiring conversations with. And we're doing it for all of you. And we, we hope you enjoy the show.